Well, good afternoon, Michigan. February the 19th, President's Day. A fabulous afternoon to be on the radio. The last day before Paul W. Smith has uh, disembarked from his journey on the seas and will rejoin all of you. And I'm sure that after Dave Rager has done musical chairs with so many people the last couple of weeks, he'll be glad to have some regularity back in his life. Isn't that right, Mr. Rieger? Yes, we did have a lot of different uh, guest hosts in for Paul, and he will be back tomorrow. Yeah, you are the you are the president of production when it comes to making everybody feel comfy. This is not an easy thing to do anyway, but when you have how many different people did you have on? Eight or ten, probably. Yeah, we had on. Um, yeah, it was it was about uh, yeah, it was, I think it was eight different people that we had, but uh, like, some of like you know, but some of them are regulars like Greg Russell. Um, he's filled in before Dan Gilbert. He's filled in before. So we've had some people that are familiar yourself, Marie. And then we had some new people that did a good job, Bud Denker, uh, Terry Radigan, and they, they did a nice job. Uh, Tony, cool. Tony Michaels. It's like the 12 o'clock variety show. Yeah. Well, let's listen. Let's close it out with a bang. I'd like to thank the team over there for making me not look silly. What do you think about President's Day? Are we are we sitting today in reverence of all the men, not yet a woman, although I'm not opposed to it, but all the men that have served this country for four or eight or, in a couple of cases, 12 years? Yeah, I think that uh, it was interesting to listen at the end of the show to uh, some of the quotes that uh, Kevin and Tom had from the different presidents. And I know that you've got some uh, presidential trivia for us today, so that'll be fun. I think we should do some, you know, at least one segment on some some fun facts, some oddities. I I read an article not that long ago uh, describing the, the I think it was 20 or so things that were very odd that presidents weren't allowed to do. I mean, for the most powerful man well, that's interesting. in the world, there's some very simple things that they just are not allowed to do. Like, for example, use their own telephone or have a, you know, a a video chat or something like that, that even with their, you know, with their friends or their relatives or whatever the case might be. Okay. It's kind of odd stuff though. There was a, right. a comment that Michelle Obama made when they were leaving office and she wasn't doing some kind of interview. I remember this she, where she said, it'll be nice to open the windows again. And I wonder what did she mean? And that was years ago. And now I read that article and it was talking about how they are not allowed to open a window ever. They're encouraged to stay away from windows, but whether they're in the car, whether they're in the White House, whether they're up at Camp David, they are not allowed to have an open window. It could be 80 degrees and sunny and a nice breeze coming through. They are not allowed to open a window. That makes sense. I can understand. I, I get it. It's a security thing. I guess. The same, I, the same thing with the phone and the and the FaceTime. It, it's a, but If you're not on a secure line, it, it makes sense. Yeah. We'll have some we'll have some fun with that. And we should get as much as we can, we should get listeners involved today. The number, as you know, 800 859 Welcome to call. Welcome to text. We're going to get into some some topics that I think should garner phone calls. One of them is going to be based on Jared Halpern, who's going to join us at 1218 and change. House Republicans again pushing for Biden to take some cognitive cognitive test. Now we we've done this quite a bit on the air. I know everyone else has been touching on it too. Clearly this is a a pressing issue. It's becoming more and more obvious that the man has slipped dramatically, especially in the last few weeks with the special counsel report that came out. But you know what, Rieger, I think is is odd about this. And I'll I'll try and ask Jared, although I think he'll be reticent to comment on this. There, there's a political gamesmanship going on here. Right? The Republicans want one of their people in the White House. Why do you want to continue to bring this issue to the forefront? 
Why not let him run? Now, clearly, the DNC may swap him out for somebody else post-convention after June 4, so on and so forth. But let's say that they weren't intending on that. And Biden says, no, I can do it. I'm fine. Leave me alone. I'm, I got all my faculties. I'm terrific. Okay. If, for example, they're going to try, the Republicans are going to try to make him an illegitimate candidate based on cognitive ability, just like the Democrats have done with so many of these court cases, trying to essentially get him in such legal trouble that he can't run, which hasn't worked to this point. That looks like it may be a defunct attempt by by every measure. Why in the world would you want for your opponent to not be as weak as possible? Because do you think that President Joe Biden, at this stage in his life, has a shadow of a chance of standing on a debate stage with Donald Trump, who, love him or hate him, has incredible control over the articulation that he's going to bring about everything that's not working, how it would have been different, much of which he can't prove. But he can say, look, Russia, Israel, here's what I would have done, and we wouldn't be in this mess. The economy, here's what I was doing, and you ruined it, and so on and so forth. I don't think that that's, that's David and Goliath in, in the ring of national debate. So why would they continue now to push for cognitive testing? Do you get it? That would be must-see television, a debate one-on-one with uh, President Biden and Trump. It would be it could be it could it could be it could be a train wreck, but that would be but that would be some of the fun of watching it. Well, the Democrats, the, the, his handlers, and I, I don't mean to say that they are subordinating him by calling them his handlers, the people that run these campaigns, they can't possibly have any intention of letting him debate, which right. means that essentially he's going to have to say, I refuse to debate. I'm not going to sink to his level. We know what that's going to look like, so on and so forth. But for the, for the Americans, that you know, the 70 or so million on the fence in the middle Americans who want to see that debate, want to see the issues of today, the two wars, the economic problems that we're, we're now facing, the inflation problem that we're now facing, the, the, everything that's gone so messy at the border, so on and so forth. They want to hear the two men argue their points and what they would do and why it is the way it is and how they could do better. So if you're not going to let Biden do that, in my opinion, you're essentially conceding defeat. Why do, why do I kind of feel Can you like, why do I kind of feel like, uh, it would be something like you remember back in the day when they had a, when the actor Jack Palance when he was um, at the Oscars and like doing push-ups on the stage. Why do I kind of yeah. feel like it would be Joe Biden to be just like, like I'll challenge President, I'll challenge former President Trump's yeah. like a push-up challenge or something like that. <laughs> something like that would happen. I don't know. I, I, picture, just I, I picture this. You know. Yeah. What a messy thing, though. I mean, for the for the GOP in general, they they tend to screw up every good opportunity they have to make any actual progress. So if you have an opponent that's this weak in terms of presentation capabilities, why call him out on it? Just let him compete, because clearly you have the stronger guy who's clearly going to be the candidate. It's odd. And all the stuff about Russia and, and, and so you're Putin. Just saying, let, him, let, let him essentially just uh, lose himself by by, by, I mean, just let, if, by letting him go. And, uh, you know, and, yeah. and do the debate or whatever. If the Detroit Lions are going into a playoff game and the other team has a bunch of illness in the locker room, are is all the Detroit fans going to start lobbying the NFL? Say, hold on, hold on a second. They're not a worthy opponent. Let's just let's let them step aside and bring on a better opponent. So we have a real game here. It makes no sense. Right. The GOP just doesn't they don't think things through, I think, most of the time. How about critical thinking? We're going to we have a special guest um, at the end of this hour. 
who really is trying to make the case that we are, as a culture, slipping hard in the in a critical thinking category. Do we believe everything we read on the internet? Do we believe everything that is being told to us, especially by those people and you know, radio podcasters, authors, TV commentators? If someone in our circle says something to us that seems matter of fact, do we just take it as the rule now? I think that a lot of people do, and I think that's what the guest was uh, was worried about. Yeah, I don't know. I've never been through a logic course. You know, I know some of these logical fallacies and examples that have been given to me, and I they always make me feel curious. But in today's environment, where people seem, Dave, so stuck in their in their echo chambers of belief, you know, whatever you listen to, whether it's Fox News or CNN or the New York Times or, or, or you know, anything on Twitter, X, whatever it's called nowadays, everything that's forced into your algorithmic echo chamber is typically something that already jives with the inherent bias that you have. So when I hear something like that, am I likely to just assume it's true? And if so, don't I have a, an obligation morally to question the validity of that statement? It's kind of interesting stuff. All right, listen, back with Jared Halpern at 1218. Let's get into this Biden cognitive testing nonsense. Everyone hang tight back in a brief minute. All right, let's get into it. We discussed uh, at the top of the hour the ongoing conversation about President Biden's cognitive abilities. More and more people now, especially on the right, calling for some kind of measurement, some kind of testing to see that he is fit to do the job. I think I find this whole thing very, very interesting. He's an older fella, as we know, and uh, cognitively people do start to slip. They process information slower. Certainly hasn't helped that the special report included some of the, um, as, as nicely as they could put it, you know, his memory lapses, so on and so forth, um, come at a cost. And there's been recent gaffes that have made things worse. Jared Halpern joins us, Fox News correspondent, WJR contributor. Welcome in, Jared. How are you? I am well. How are you? Doing okay. And we've been watching the story now for quite some time. This is nothing new under the sun, except that it has reached a bit of a fever pitch um, in the news cycle. What is the actual ongoings on, uh, amongst the GOP that are starting to really call for some kind of quantitative measurement of President Biden's cognitive function? Well, House Republicans have been calling for this even before that her report came out, right, before that special counsel report. Uh, age has certainly been something that um, is a liability for President Biden. Voters in poll after poll have uh, expressed concern about the president's age, even among Democrats. So uh, the most recent uh, fallout from this is a, a letter that was sent uh, by 83 House Republicans, including uh, the conference chair, Elise Stefanik, and uh, Congressman Ronnie Jackson, who was the uh, former White House physician uh, and chief medical advisor uh, to uh, former President Trump, um, he is uh, saying that this uh, presents a national security risk, um, uh, noting the uh, report that, that Robert Hur put forward, saying that the president would come off as a well-meaning elderly man with a poor memory, and it would be difficult to convince a jury that they should convict him uh, mm -hmm. well into his 80s of a serious felony that requires a mental state uh, of willfulness. Now, obviously, that report has been heavily criticized by the White House. They say that this is um, egregious, that that's not the way that you should be characterizing um, a report that ultimately found um, nothing rising to the level of, uh, you know, filing charges, criminal charges. Sure. Um, and I don't think that this is an issue that, that ultimately is, is uh, going to go away between now and November. Listen, it's going to be up to voters to assess um, the, the choices for president. And in this case, if it is, uh, in fact, former President Trump, as it increasingly looks like it'll be against uh, President Biden, you will have two men who 
uh, represent the oldest people uh, to, to hold that office, right? Yeah. So yeah. Um, that will be something that, that uh, voters will have to, to weigh as they make their, their decision in November. Um, the White House uh, has not indicated that the president is going to do what House Republicans want to do. They've been pretty critical of uh, Congressman Jackson. They, they send out a picture of Dr. Nick from The Simpsons whenever they're asked for comment about him. Um, uh, if anybody knows the show, he is the uh, uh, incompetent doctor uh, on uh, The Simpsons. Um, but at any rate, um, he, the president will have a physical, we're told, um, soon. He, he has an annual physical, as presidents do, and they say that it will be a, a transparent process, that the physician, if he has done in years past, will put forward uh, a report. It will be made public, and, and people will be able to assess it, whether or not that includes some sort of um, uh, you know, mental test or, or anything like that, uh, I guess, is up to the doctor. They, they generally do not, and, and they have not included that for, for President Biden in years past. Yeah. Jared, you know, this is it, the irony of this uh, recent um, her study really is that, you know, not that long ago when Trump was sitting in front of the, the New York District Court, you know, I think a couple hundred times he said the words, I just don't remember. I don't recall you know, that and so forth. That positions really seem to have a, really seem to, to trouble people's memories, don't they? Yeah. There's sudden, sudden <laughs> amnesia when you may be in trouble. Um, all of a sudden, the correlation coefficient for being a, an elderly man seems to go way way up when, when we talk about this though from a, a strategy standpoint and i know you're not a strategist and, and perhaps reticent to to think on why they might be doing this i if i was a gop strategist looking at trump as the imminent nominee certainly from an articulative standpoint he has the upper hand when it comes to biden should there be any debates if biden chose to participate which i of course if he doesn't that it or looks trump like a concession right well trump is also very critical of the debate process yeah, I mean, why why do the Republicans want to weaken Biden's ability to run when clearly he does not look like the man who has the upper hand when it comes to argumentation? Well, he's going to run. I mean, President Biden's going to be the Democratic nominee, barring some sort of like I guess health issue or something that that arises. Um, that, listen, I think that when you look, because it, it is a vulnerability when you look at polling, and um, you know, even amongst the majority of Democrats, they, they cite that they think that President Biden is too old uh, for a second term. And so it is a major political liability that um, this administration, the president, the campaign has been facing. Like I said, even before, obviously, the her report, there were questions, you know, last year whether or not President Biden would run for a second term. Um, given his age. And, and he kind of put that to rest, obviously, um, making his announcement. But this is not something that's going to go away. I think if you're the White House, if you're the campaign, you have to try and, and get the president out there, right, to try and push back on this narrative. President Biden took a couple of questions this morning as he was getting off Marine One with reporters. I would anticipate those types of exchanges probably increase a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, I also have talked to some strategists from both parties who have kind of said, you got to be careful when you're talking kind of about age and competency, because, you know, overwhelmingly the, the largest demographic of voters in this country tend to be seniors. Um, and, you know, age is viewed differently. Maybe if you're a, a millennial or, or a Gen Z versus somebody that maybe is a baby boomer or older. 
Yeah, and certainly there, there in, in in context, some of the quick snaps to judgment we make, you know, in terms of a verbal misstep, and we do this in in all directions, right? When he's talking not that long ago and and says Mexico when he's referring to the Middle East, yeah. things like that. You know, like I I'm 47 years old, and sometimes I have four, I have five kids, and I look at them and I say, what? Right. I mean, this kind of thing happens. The, the, the cognitive sense for verbal processing, you know, it has a, an inverse relationship with how they process. It doesn't mean they're not good decision makers. We don't know any of that, but it is a little bit startling to see. But, but politics you know, is perception. Um, politics right. is perception. And that's the, the, the trouble. I mean, Nikki Haley's been making a big part of this in her campaign, um, sort of suggesting that both Biden and Trump have that same liability, that they're both too old. She, you right. know, is made a lot about, you know, Donald Trump confusing herself and Nancy Pelosi in that speech that he gave a couple of weeks ago. Right. And so she has been calling for like legislation that would require presidential candidates to take these types of of um, cognitive tests. So it's been an issue again before this her report that certainly has elevated it. It's highlighted it. Um, and I think House Republicans are, are going to use this as part of their pitch to try and uh, differentiate President Biden from former President Trump. Yeah. Jared, is there, you know, is there a de facto obligation of any kind for presidential candidates that are the nominees for their respective parties to actually engage in a debate uh, for the sake of the American people? There's not. I mean, how it's been done, obviously, um, really since about the 1970s is the Commission on Presidential Debates. They've been the organization uh, that has put forward these debates, selecting the moderators, selecting the sites. They have selected the sites for this debate. Uh, but the RNC, um, kind of uh, in line with uh, former President Trump, have basically said that they're not going to participate um, unless there are significant changes uh, to the commission. Um, there is not a requirement that, that people debate. In fact, if you recall, the last cycle, one of the debates was canceled because of uh, COVID and mm-hmm. uh, kind of an inability to come to terms on doing it remotely or, or however they were going to do it. Um, and so it is raising questions about whether or not there will be debates uh, this time around. I, you know, listen, as a reporter, I certainly hope there are. I think they are important in helping uh, voters, especially kind of compare and contrast yeah. um, on a wide range, not just policies, but performance, anything, right? The vice sure. presidential debate is important for that reason as well. Um, but I think that whether or not we see certainly three presidential debates as are currently scheduled. Um, at all. So um, it'll be interesting to see if there's strategy involved in that. Perhaps both sides say, you know what, we want to do this because we want to put, you know, the cognitive test on display. Absolutely. Um, but again, the, the RNC in particular um, and the DNC to a certain extent, but the RNC in particular has been pretty critical of uh, the, the makeup of the uh, Commission on Presidential Debates and has called for a lot of changes and overhauls to that organization before they would agree to put their candidate on on that debate stage. Well, Jared, thanks for your wisdom. As always, it'll be uh, maybe not fun to watch, but at least entertaining to watch as this continues to unfurl. And and Dave Rieger, we need to hear from the people. I think you would agree. Uh, So let's get the phones lit up. The question of the day is, is President Biden too old to run or is his his oldness per se only relative to the uh, the cog the seemingly cognitive decline that we've watched if you watch even three years ago uh significantly different than in the last several months let's say but let's hear from you 
1-800-529-0957. Should there be a test for cognitive ability? And should there be an age limit to begin with to run this country? It's a lot of responsibility with your hand over that red button and 330 million people to take care of. Let's get on the phones. Back in a few. Well, Dave Ringer, that was the lively Jared Halpern visit, was it not? Lots yeah. going on when it comes to uh, the Joe Biden cognitive ability uh, litmus test. Tons of discussion. I, I was watching this um, montage the other day of Trump in that New York courtroom and how many times he said, I, I just don't remember. One of them was actually kind of laugh out loud funny. They asked him at a specific time frame, who was he married to or how, what years was he married to a certain gal? He's been married multiple times. I don't know which gal it was. And he said, I, I can't recall something like that, <laughs> which I thought was kind of funny to be fair. Um, I haven't had enough wives to, to, you know, have to catalog them like that. <laughs> but when you, when you look at stuff like this, you know, what Jared said that maybe was kind of, um, a tongue in cheek to a degree, but has a lot of truth to it is that during deposition of any kind, when you're potentially in trouble, one of the most effective defenses, I, I simply don't remember. I don't remember. Because sometimes as a human being, you simply don't remember, especially if you're talking about something, you know, years ago and it's a, it's a nuanced detail that I don't think is nearly as concerning, frankly, that report as some of the things he, he as in president Biden says when he's on camera, when he mixes up countries or he refers to a leader, that's not even the leader he means to refer to. Those are things that he doesn't have time to sit and plot out. It's not from a teleprompter. It's from a question and he just doesn't get them right. And I think there is legitimate cause for concern there. But I think that concern can't be pointed directly at one president from one party. If the real concern is four years is a long time, and he's already significantly worse than he was three years ago, the, the everyday eyeball test proves that, I think, beyond a shadow of a doubt. Four years from now, you would imagine has to be significantly worse. Could it be just as bad for a Donald Trump? We don't know. Let's go out to the phones, though, and visit with our... Our listeners, Jean in Canton. Hi, Jean. Hi there. Um, I wrote down a few things. So I'm going to read read you what I wrote down. Um, okay. I'm, I'm I'm almost 83. First of all, <laughs> um, I am not an expert, and I but I have gone to about 40 talks of workshops on dementia and Alzheimer's, mm -hmm. and I have probably had about 25 people in my life touched by dementia, Alzheimer's, cognitive impairment. Yeah. For every person, it's a different story in how they're affected. And many families are afraid to even suggest to them that they have a problem. They're like kids are afraid to take the parents' car keys away from them, et cetera, et cetera. Um, in the beginning, I would say most people are aware that they have a problem before anybody else knows. And by the time people start to notice they have a problem, they probably had the problem for several years. Um, I think, let's see, what else did I write down? Give me one more. As time, as, as time goes on, most don't realize they have the problem and they become angry if you suggest something like that. Like I have a cousin who has cognitive impairment, I'll call it, and she doesn't think she has a problem, but she her kids took her car keys away from her and uh, she can't fix meals, et cetera, et cetera. Anyway, right, here's a simple test. A simple test to ask Biden what he ate for breakfast or have him count backwards from 100 by sevens 
or fives or four and see if he passes those tests. Okay. That's all. Well, I don't know. Gene, listen, I do math for a living in the finance world. I'm not sure I could count backwards uh, from hundred by sevens without stumbling well, over my think about If you, if you think about it, you can. <laughs> Your well, brain has to work. <laughs> I'll tell you on, on that note, Gene, what, one of the things that you're bringing to light is, is indeed interesting. Look, I, I rarely mention this when I'm on the air as a fill-in for JR, but I'm in the finance business. I'm a financial advisor, you know, primarily in the retirement space. We do a tremendous amount of training for cognitive ability because we can be held liable in our business for writing a case or taking on investment money of any kind for someone who doesn't have the ability, i.e. dementia, for example, early stage Alzheimer's, to make those decisions. So there's a, a, quite a bit of training that we do when we have to listen to people talk. We ask very specific questions. We listen to the way they respond. If someone responded to me in many of the ways that, that President Biden speaks behind the microphone, kind of pausing, oddly trailing off, mixing up sentences, I would not be able to write that case. If I had to make a case to a regulator that this was a, uh, a sound a client in terms of cognitive ability, I might fail that and be held liable for any damages. It is rather interesting, frankly, that over the years we've watched the decline of President Biden when it comes to these presentations, but people on the on the left seem relatively happy to have him in control of the most powerful uh, country in the modern world. I think that is rather interesting. Let's go out to our friend August in my neighboring town of Milford. What's happened in August? Hey, good show, my friend. And uh, I mean, you have to face reality. We're all going to get older. Uh, I'm pushing 70 myself now. And I swear I was just 40. So it goes that quick. And unfortunately, my mother who raised me and my older brothers as a single woman back before there were, we're not that many single women, God bless her. But over time, you know, she would get forgetful. And over time, we'd have to say, mom, you just can't drive anymore. I hate to do that to you, but you know, it's time to move on to something else. And that's part of life if you live that long. Sure. But, but the key is you have to be honest with yourself, as tough as it may be, and say, you know what, I got to start getting some help. So, yeah, August, you know, what you're saying right now is not that different than, than what Gene's saying, a touch different um, in context. But, you know, what's fascinating about presidents, and we're going to have some fun hopefully in the at the top of the one o'clock hour and talk about some of the things presidents aren't allowed to do. But what may be interesting here, just incidentally in this discussion, is that, you know, President Biden's not allowed to drive. Like, you know, as an 83, 84-year-old man, he can't drive to, you know, go out and run some errands and go to the hardware store and then find himself completely lost, forget where he lives, and then call the kids in a panic. That's happened to several of my clients. You know, he can't turn the stove on in the morning to cook some eggs, forget about it as he goes to make a coffee, and then all of a sudden the frying pan's on fire. There's a lot of things in normal everyday life that lead someone to believe, holy cow, I'm losing it. And they start talking to their kids and their spouse and their doctor about what's happening. And they say, look, man, you really have to get some cognitive testing because something could be afoot here. But the president, August, I think this is what's so fascinating about your comment. The president doesn't do any of those things. He's not allowed to drive. He doesn't cook his own meals. He has a team of handlers that are putting things in front of him. And there's a lot to process. You know, a lot of people have made, the, the, you know, cracks about how President Obama came in looking young and handsome and he left looking 75 years old with gray hair. Yeah, it's a hard job. So I don't think there's a shadow of a doubt that the man is already weakened in, in, in his faculties. It, it's sad, but it's true. 
at, at some point, true. this staff didn't met. You know, you, you need some help. Well, August, thanks for your perspective and for being kind about it. We we are, I think, obligated to be respectful of the office, even if we don't necessarily agree with the man. Dave Rieger, I know you have texts coming in left and right. What's happening on the text line? Yeah, a couple texts that came in. Uh, Rod from Plymouth says, uh, is he mistaken, but didn't Trump take a cognitive test while he was in office? I don't remember. Uh, if he, he did. Um, I, the name of it is escaping me. It was several years ago, and it was one of the rather, let's just call it lukewarm style, quick cognitive exams that you might okay. give somebody, you know, in a physician's office to look for early signs of onset dementia. Yeah. And he, he passed it with flying colors. But of course, you know, to be fair, if it would have never have come up if he didn't do well. I mean, Trump always says, "You sure. know, I'm the best. I'm the best. I'm a practically an epidemiologist. I'm practically <laughs> right. a professional golfer. Right. I'm practically, you know, a meteorologist. I, I mean, everything he, that he gets into, sure. he's a PhD in." Three one three area code sends a text that says there should definitely be an age limit with regards to being president. Once they reach the age of seventy five, there should be they should no longer be able to run if they turn seventy five while in office. They may finish out their term but not be allowed to run again. President Biden is not fit to maintain the office now and will certainly not be fit in the future. Well, I got to say I agree with three on 313 area code on that particular one. I'm not sure about the ages uh, specifically, but look, I don't who I don't know who would disagree with that. It's not it's not just the fact that the cognitive decline is almost imminent for most people as they get into their upper 70s. It's the fact that a president dying suddenly throws the entire country into a complete, you know, topsy-turvy mess. Right. Granted, there's a vice president and there's a secretary of state and there's backup plans there, but those are not backup plans that you want to have happen. So I think when we get at life expectancy level, you probably call it quits on running again, if not running the first time. I agree with three. What do you think? What's, I what's mean, the, I, I will say this, you know, different people, cognitively decline at different rates as they get older. I'm going to assume that there is a percentage of cognitive impairment as you get older. Of course, but across at, the board. But, but so I don't know what at what age you could like, you know, stamp like okay, this is the age where you can't do anything after this point. But look, I, you- I, I don't necessarily know if that necessarily is fair. Because of the fact that everybody everybody is different, it's so. it is it is fair to a degree, but it, you also have to consider that you know the way that words are processed, they come across the, your the, your your mental screen like a marquee. You know, at the movie, it's running across the line. Sure. Right, Dave Rieger is my producer today. As I say those words, they're appearing in my brain, even though I don't you know think about that. Right, you know, in a visceral sense. When, when we talk about someone like President Biden screwing up behind the microphone because he's under the gun and there's only so much time and it's a question that came out of left field behind the microphone, that is different than the man's ability sitting down with time to process. It doesn't make him not a good decision maker. It right. just makes him look like he might not be a good decision maker. Now you make a great point Not's there. Question. Yeah. All right. Back after the break. Good talk coming up. Sit tight. Welcome back in. You know, listen, we have had uh, numerous discussions in the last few months and really over the last several years about the information that we see, whether it's on social media, whether it's on the Internet. Uh, The Internet is a very broad category, but even the cable news, uh, many of uh, which are, are largely editorials versus news sources. And the question then becomes, are we declining as a society when it comes to our ability to be 
critical thinkers? Do we just take everything at face value, believe everything that we're shown? And what is the consequences of that in the long term? And, and joining us today is a special treat, Dr. Patrick Hurley uh, from the University of San Diego in years past, a, a, a best-selling author, concise intro to Logic, one of the bestsellers on Amazon. Thanks for joining the program, Dr. Hurley. How are you this morning? Great, Chris, and thanks for having me on. Uh, we're pleased to have you on. So there are so many different ways to attack this particular subject, but in your experience nowadays, do we tend as, as a, a human race to take almost everything we hear and read at face value? I think there's far too much of this. Uh, just, just consider this. Uh, the, the latest rumor running around uh, the Internet and other places is that our Vice President, Kamala Harris, uh, has gills, and she breathes, <laughs> breathes oxygen through those gills. And people actually believe this, and this is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. So I, I think there is a tendency to do this. The other, the other thing that we're seeing is, are, are these conspiracy theories that are popping up everywhere. Uh, one of the recent ones is that Taylor Swift is in a conspiracy with Travis Kelsey in order to get Joe Biden elected president. Uh, well, it sounds, sounds good, but how many people are involved in this conspiracy? A thousand or a hundred? Uh, we have yeah. no idea because there's, there's no evidence to support any of it. That's the problem. We're believing things without evidence, and that's what critical thinking is. It's requiring evidence for as many of our beliefs as we can find. Dr. Hurley, in your experience, is there a correlation between the decline of, of really good critical thinking over the last few decades and the prevalence of the Internet in general? I, I think there probably is. Uh, be, because communication is more distant on the Internet. Uh, we don't look people in the eye anymore, you know. Uh, how many times have you gone into a restaurant and see uh, a, a couple, you know, who are presumably dating, and both of them have, uh, have their eyes, you know, glued, glued to their cell phones and stuck on the Internet? They're not paying any attention at all to one another as persons. And I think that results in, in really a deterioration in communication and we, we really don't communicate, we really don't make contact anymore. And as a result, you know, we don't really see where other people are coming from and we don't appreciate other people's points of view. And that is really an important thing. So as a result, when we disagree, <laughs> the immediate reaction is to go on the attack and to grab for one for the other guy's throat, you know. And that's, that's not good. That's just awful, so. Yeah, and the relative, in, in the, in the, environment of, of politics and current events what is the what is the relationship between my ability to be a, criti a critical thinker and for example the elements of desire or um, you know inherent bias that i might already have if i'm consistently listening to and reading uh, from news sources that tend to lean in the directions that i already believe a little bit in my own you know echo chamber so to speak is that in many ways part of the problem? And if so, if I wanted to break myself of that habit, what are the first couple steps that I take as a consumer of information to analyze what I'm hearing and find out if it's indeed true or founded or unfounded? Well, for one thing, I think critical thinking is the enemy of emotions. You know, uh, if, if you are overwhelmed by your emotions, you're almost certainly not going to be a critical thinker. You know, when feelings and emotions go head to head with reason, unfortunately, it's oftentimes emotions that win out. So 
I think the first thing you've got to do is to make sure that your emotions are not leading you down the primrose path, and so often they are. And one of the, one of the vehicles of emotion, of course, is relig- religion, and that's where my most recent book comes in. It's called Religion, Power, and Illusion, A Genealogy of Religious Belief. Uh, it, ex- it explores the role that emotions play and the role that bad thinking plays, you know, in the lack of critical thinking. Uh, informal fallacies, for example, anything, something you would learn in any logic course. Uh, you, if you become familiar with these fallacies, you'll be less likely to commit them yourself and more able, I think, to detect them in others and not be re- led down the primrose path. So those are a couple of things that I, I think we can do. We could become educated in religion because religion is so often wrapped up with emotions, and I think we could become a little bit more educated in logic and critical thinking as a skill. So I would offer that. Dr. Hurley, when we look at today's environment, as divisive as it's become in in so many ways, especially in the in the realm of politics, much you know, much is made on this show of what's happening in the in the current environment with an election coming up, so on and so forth. What yeah. areas, uh, politics included, for example, have been most damaged by the decline in the ability to, for people to be critical thinkers? Is it manifest itself mostly in the arena of politics when it comes to kind of these fallacies and and often conspiracy theories, or is there other areas that it's just as pervasive? No, I think that p- politics is the number one area right now uh, because there's so much you know, wild emotion, you know, that's going in, going into these opinions that are political. So if, if we can just, if we can just restrain ourselves a little bit and learn to talk to one another civilly, I think we can put things back on the track, maybe. But another thing that's really complicating things is this artificial intelligence. I mean, my God, what's that going to do to education these days? I don't know. <laughs> it scares me to death. When I think, you know, what's going on, you know, with, with artificial intelligence. So that's another thing that's just going to confuse the mix. As a, as a consultant and an author on this, I guess, you know, wrapping up the segment, if someone were to come and ask you for your advice on how to devise curriculum, for example, for high schoolers or college courses, for young thinkers who will find themselves, of course, in a much more powerful position as a as a voter and as a, a member of their own family, raising children of their own. Where would you start with that? Because clearly, if we're, you know, we're not dealing with someone who's 30 or 35 and they're already, you know, embedded in this environment, and certainly those people could make changes of their own volition. But if you walked it back 15 years, what were the best steps we could take as parents and as educators potentially to create better critical thinking in the education system? Well, I think we could maybe get back to some of the fundamentals. Something that I would recommend. So much of the college and university curriculum these days seems, you know, to to rest on crazy courses. There seems to be a dumbing down uh, of curricula, and I think that is really an unfortunate situation. If, If if people would get back, for example, just to studying logic, I think that would help a great deal. And I've already mentioned that briefly. Uh, so that's one thing that I would recommend. I would recommend maybe some required courses, you know, that, that really get to the meat of how we think. Uh, science, of course, is excellent, too, and so is history and, and, and anthropology and these other courses. Sure. But if we could get back to some of these fundamentals, I think it would be wonderful. 
Well, Dr. Patrick Hurley, thanks for joining our program today. Uh, certainly, we are overdue to all look at things in a more critical sense, not believe everything that we read or everything that we hear and question that. And we'd like to hear from you, 800-859-0957. Do you believe everything that you read or have you become just incredibly suspicious of almost everything? We'll be back in just a brief few minutes. Here we are at the 50-yard line on the 19th of February, President's Day. A lot of presidential talk today. Uh, especially about the the cognitive decline of President Biden and what, if anything, should be done about that. The phone lines have been jumping. The text messages are coming in. Dave is is messaging me about all the texts that we have in. Good conversation about the critical thinking um, in the last segment. I think that we would all benefit from that. And we will save a little deep dive on that for another day as there's still people hanging on. Let's get back out to the phones. Um, talking still about uh, President Biden and the cognitive stuff. Let is, let's head out to uh, Charlie in Clarkston. What's happening, Charlie? Yeah, guy. just want to let you know, if anybody wants to make a decision about age, just take a look at Trump this past Saturday when he did that event. He was sharp as a pin going on for an hour and 20 minutes. That is proof that age is not a factor. It's the ability to perform that makes the difference. And then if you have half a brain, watch Biden and what he does. He would have trouble running a hot dog stand without help. It is the easiest thing in the world to decide. Watch the performance of the person, not the age. That's all I got to say. Have a great day. Well, thank you, Charlie. Charlie is, is convinced the eyeball test is enough if you watch President Trump at one of his rallies or behind uh, a camera of any kind. Of course, he loves being behind the camera. He certainly has a different level of command than President Biden does. I don't think many people would argue with him. That certainly is what has so much of the Democratic donorship a little bit freaked out these days. But uh, much remains to be seen. How about John and Clarkson? What's happening, John? Hey, good morning or good afternoon, Chris. Uh, listen, it's really simple. I don't know why we're arguing age. Age got nothing to do with this. Uh, I've been in pharmaceuticals my whole life, been retired a while, but uh, I knew 90 year old doctors that were uh, still teachers. And I know 40 year old doctors that I wouldn't send my worst enemy to. The sure. bottom line is this. We can fix this easily. You mandate policy law that that if over 65, you must get they have to get physicals and you must have a cognitive test. No ifs, ands, or buts. You're going to run again, you get, you get another cognitive test and physical. If you're over 70 and you're in office, every year you should be getting a cognitive test and a physical. Uh, that should be all the way up to whatever age that president is. We don't need to argue about age at all because the new 65 is 75 now, and we're getting older and we're staying uh, uh, healthier, and we're, uh, uh, you know, hopefully our, our brains are continue to match what we need to do. But so take age out of the equation. Just mandate the fact that you, as president of this country, you have to know if, you're, if they're a, a, their brain is available to work on this job. And that's cognitive tests. No answer. Well, John, answer listen, I don't care if you're 90. 
There's a couple things that yep. you brought up I, I think are fascinating to to mm-hmm. contemplate. One is that as the longevity tables have expanded rapidly with, you know, mm-hmm. um, this age going up. If you look at when, when Medicare came out in 1965, life expectancy was barely into the 70s. Now, well, now life expectancy for a 70-year-old is in the early to mid-80s, and it's a telescoping theory. So as you get older, your life expectancy theoretically is getting longer. So you can it make is. the argument. I, I, I would agree with you wholeheartedly that there when you come to an age limit, there certainly is a, an 85-year-old that's as mentally uh, has more acuity than a 60-year-old, but that depends on the person. The, the question, I think, becomes, if you're going to do any kind of testing for cognitive things that are measurable, should it be an ongoing thing? I'm with you. If you're going to have a test, there should be a test every six months or every one year. I have had clients that were uh, diagnosed with early-onset dementia which in two or three years, they had declined so severely that they were hospitalized or in, in some kind of convalescent care. I've had ones die. We, without bringing, you know, dredging up the past, we all remember what happened with Mr. Beckman. That was a very, very rapid decline that yeah. led to him, you know, being deceased. So if you're going to have the rule, the rule then has to be an ongoing test because this is the most powerful position in the free world. And it really does yeah, matter. Hey. Thanks for the call, John. That's a that's a, a great point you just brought up. How about Steve in Royal Oak? What's up, Steve? Hey, what's happening? Thanks for the show. Want to tell you that we can't have a test that's going to give you a flat yes or no. Can you be president? It might be something that people volunteer to take, or even that we strongly encourage them to take. But there's it opens the door for all kinds of scamming if you have a test. Are you kidding me? The American people have to decide. It, do they get enough information? If someone sits in their basement and doesn't come out, then we don't vote for them. And if we do vote for them, then we deserve what we get. It, a test is not going to fix this. It's, that's ridiculous to, to have just a flat yes or no. What if someone had the test and got to practice it 25 times and the other person never saw it until the day it was given and it was given on live TV? I mean, there are all kinds of ways that it could open the door for more corruption. We have enough corruption as it is. Let the people decide who they want to vote. And if someone can't communicate, can't carry on a conversation or can't get keep a clear a pattern of thought, then they probably don't deserve to be president. But if we as the incurably, in, incurably ignorant electorate keep putting bad people in office or bad candidates up for office, then we deserve exactly what we get. Okay. Fair enough, Steve. I think that it's a, it's a valuable point. The incurably ignorant electorate, is that what you said? Yeah, you know what? <laughs> listen, what's to me fascinating about his comment is that the incurably ignorant electorate itself is an overstatement. And I know how he means it a, a bit tongue in cheek. You can look with the eyeball test, but if you think about uh, testing being a yes or no thing, when we go back to the last series of debates in the in really the afterglow, if you will, of the uh, COVID response, President Trump clearly lost the series of debates because he couldn't he just couldn't shush it was just diarrhea of the mouth it was non-stop over the top to the point where he turned so many people off his capability had not changed much was good with the economy much was changing in terms of how that we were dealing with covid we didn't have the the the, the russia ukraine problem we didn't have the israel palestine problem they may not have been totally avoided but i think if you make the case that i can look at this just from the eyeball alone and there's nothing more that I need. I, I disagree. I think there's plenty more that you need because clearly that was a deficit to President Trump. 
the same way right now is that it's current behavior and, and current uh, clips are a deficit to President Biden. That doesn't mean he's not capable of making the decisions. It just makes it hard to believe that he could be capable of making decisions based on what we see. Right, Rieger? It's hard. Sure. I mean, yeah, I think that. But I think that I I disagree with some of these callers. I think that you do have to call it a career at some age. Now, what that age is, I don't know. Yeah, I don't either. It's a, it's a hard discussion. I don't think there's a right answer, but there's probably an answer that's fair enough in there somewhere. We'll check in with Marie in a few minutes. Everyone hang tight. You're going to want to hear this one. Oh, you'll probably enjoy this story. Getting off the topic of presidential uh, mental fitness and critical thinking and all those kind of things, all of us probably have something in common. We, we likely have large bags of empty bottles sitting around our house or our garage ready to be returned to the grocery store, sitting in our garages or basements, smelly and sticky. But there's new bills being considered in the Michigan House, which will change the times those bottles can be returned at and, and what can be returned. WGR senior news analyst Marie Osborne, the bell of the ball, as I say, she takes a closer look at that legislation. Hi, Marie. Hi, Chris. Uh, right now, we can return those bottles anytime the store says we can. But one of these bills would set the time parameters are when retailers can accept them from 8 a.m. to 11 p.m., or during their posted hours of business. The changes are in three bills under consideration, but two bills that were introduced last summer would expand the type of containers that would fall under the existing 10-cent bottle return laws. Some of these new bottle and beverage containers that would be added to the list of returnables would include things like non-carbonated water, wine and alcohol bottles, but those two bills are stalled right now in the House. So the one they are working on is that time bill. During the pandemic, some retailers offered very limited hours for bottle returns, and then they just kept those hours, sometimes as short as just a couple of hours a day. And there's been an uptick of consumer complaints that often those hours are during the business day when most of us just can't take our cans in. So the idea is to get Michigan consumers back on the returnable bandwagon Michigan had one of the highest bottle recycling rates in the country, right around 88 to 96 percent between 2010 and 2019. But that rate dropped dramatically at the start of COVID-19. Right now, we're hovering at about 75, 76 percent. So legislators want to get us back on on the uh, train to return our uh, bottles. Now, the original bottle bill, Chris, was adopted in 1976 as, of course, an effort to curb pop, uh, pollution. And if our listeners have any questions about what can be returned, how much can be returned, all of the answers to that are at Michigan.gov. Hmm. Now that Did you know all that? <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't. And maybe there's a blessing in disguise here. I, a, I, I, when I think of bottle returns, Marie, I don't know about you, but I think about things like, you know, pop, what we called soda because we grew up mm-hmm. on the East Coast, and beer and so on and so forth. Now, I don't buy a lot, if hardly any, really, pop mm-hmm. or, or beer. It comes in cans or bottles. So I very, very rarely return bottles. And I I have not felt compelled to go return bottles since I was about 22 years old and I lived in an apartment by myself. And I thought, you know, if I go return bottles, I can go to Blockbuster and spend $3 getting a movie because I didn't have any money. 
So I'm actually shocked to hear, and this is funny, I was jotting down notes as you're talking, what percentage of people actually return, or how many bottles that are purchased actually get returned. And it, you're saying at one time it was basically 90 plus percent of yeah. all bottles were returned. I can't believe that. Amazing, right? Well, especially if you take a drive down certain freeways and see all the bottles and cans that are sitting there. But to be fair, a lot of those are these water bottles that are not returnable. So uh, that legislation that's right now stalled there, they want to include those water bottles and then beer, um, excuse me, wine bottles and alcohol bottles, too. I'm with you. We don't drink a lot of soda. We don't drink a lot of pop. I'm a Michiganian. I say pop. So yeah. we don't uh, we don't drink a lot of it. And we also have a couple of kids in the neighborhood who uh, for their like a fundraising thing for their right. Cub Scouts yeah. or whatever, they'll come and pick them up. I love when I hear from them so they can come and pick up what we have. Uh, but they but the idea here is to make it easier for all of us to return these bottles and cans. You know, you can't return something that the store doesn't carry. So that can be a pain uh, for a lot of people. Uh, a lot of people uh, I know who live in other states, I know some New Yorkers who simply, they can get five cents back on some of their mm. bottles. They just throw them in the recycling because five cents, yeah. who cares? So, it, well, you, you know, know, it is lucrative for us. I don't really understand it. Oh, sorry, Dave, hold on one second. I, I, isn't all this basically automated now? It's not like the old days where there's a kid in an apron back there. That oh, has to no, go. right. You just, oh, yeah, right. right. Mm-hmm. So why would the stores have limited hours in the first place? Who cares? I mean, is it just a matter of well, someone getting once, the bin out of the back of the machine? Right. Once they get in there, they've got to be sorted again. They've got to be, yeah, they've got to be organized to return them to the proper authority. So yeah, it does take personnel. It does take time and effort on the part of the store to do this. Rieger, what do you think? I I, I hope that this, I hope it passes because it's annoying when you go there and Mm -hmm. the store's open and you can't do the bottle returns. Very, I've heard this. Yeah. yeah. Because they put, they, they, they start and stop it on their own schedule. Right. It should be from open to close. Right. And they should, you should be able to go at any time. Uh, to be able to return the bottles. It is super annoying when they're sitting there and they, they, they rope it off or they put shopping carts in front. Yep. Because, and I know why they do it because they don't want to have to sort it after a certain part, a certain point in time. They don't want to have to empty them once they're emptied for the night. They don't want to have to go and empty them again. They probably don't have the personnel to do it. So Exactly. So I, so I, I understand why they do it, but it, it but I, I think that it needs to be this open the totally whole time. In- this is totally indicative of the trend that we're seeing in supermarkets and stores everywhere. We're doing all of our own work. <laughs> yes. I'm, I'm literally, I'm checking myself out. Yeah, I can't tell you how many times I go to the Meyer by my house, which is the, I love Meyer. This is not a shot at Meyer, but all of them are like this. I can't even wait in line because there's seven or eight people deep waiting for an actual checkout person. And I have too much to do. So even with, you know, 30, 40 items in my grocery cart, I end up going into the cattle herd and scanning all my own items, bagging all my own items, being called a thief by the machine because I run out of room. and I have to take the bag off the thing, put it in the cart because I'm out of, you know, things mm-hmm. on the carousel. 
so I'm doing all of the work myself. Now you're telling me if I wanted to return bottles, there's only certain times I can do it. Are the stores mm-hmm. just trying to basically make it so they don't do anything except order the things, put them on the shelf, and then it's on you? All right. So I'll, I'm not a spokesperson for the grocery industry, but the fact is they're having trouble finding employees just like everyone else is. Everyone else. Uh, but, you know, the whole thing with the self-checkout, I've, I've heard some, I've seen some great memes on this. I had a friend say that they were standing in line to get their groceries checked out and the person working there said hey you can come to the uh self-checkout and he says no thanks i don't work here and then one of the other jokes is that you know oh i'm gonna be going to the meyer christmas party or the kroger christmas party because now i work there see i like self-checkout i think self-checkout is the greatest thing that ever happened i like i, I love self-checkout that way I Rigor, can get if you're in. just getting a stick of deodorant and a frozen pizza it's not a big deal but if, if you're, you're even, buying a gross like actual groceries it's hard I know it's difficult, but they, it, 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 I find it easier, especially no matter how big the order is. I also like when Sam's, some Sam's and Costco, they had the self-checkout. I love that, I, too. I should be getting a discount. I should be getting at least yeah. a 2.5% discount on my bill yeah. since I'm, I'm absorbing your labor cost by yeah. doing it myself. I'm with I'm with Chris on this. I mean, I know how to use the self checkout. I've done it. It's good. I especially if I'm just buying a card and you know, uh, I don't know, whatever, something quick. You know, uh, you guys, when I where I grew up in New York and New Jersey, they, they you couldn't pump your own gas. You couldn't, and and you still can't, Chris. In some spots of New Jersey, in New Jersey, yeah, yeah, you 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 sit in the car, you don't get out. Yeah, in Oregon too, there's some spots that that you can't. They uh, have self uh, or full serve, yeah. Oh my gosh, those were the days, right? Yeah. Mentally, residents, someone pumping your gas, bottle returns, a non-issue. Incredible. Thanks for the story, Marie. Thanks, All guys. Right. Back in a bit with presidential trivia. You better get ready. Get Brian ready, too, Rigger. We're going to need him. Well, as promised, we're going to have some fun as we finish out this hour. Rigger, I know we had some texts that were floating in there. Should we knock those out real quick before we get on to, to the fun facts of being president? Uh, yeah, let me see. Let me go back here and see. Uh, one of the texts from a 586 said that um, this goes back to the um, Alzheimer's and the dementia com- uh, commentary. Uh, there are nine big pharma drugs that create dementia and Alzheimer's like symptoms. You start there. So that person says that's where you start looking into your okay. uh, uh, a 734 area code says Trump still runs circles around most of us. I love how the media is trying to compare Trump. Trump's age to Biden. Biden has clearly lost it, and it's sad that his wife allows him to continue absolutely embarrass himself in our country. Okay. So, um, yeah. And then uh, we've got one that talks about uh, there is um, how it says, how about they charge you for using a clerk at the register? I don't know. Ten cents per product. That sounds cheap enough considering I'm paying for your use of the clerk now. So that's somebody who's talking about the, the self-checkout. Well, the, the labor, listen, the labor cost of, of – this is far more fascinating to me, this whole bottle conversation combined with the labor cost of, of the grocery stores than President Biden's cognitive yeah. ability. The, I, I don't – the, the prices are, are built – around the existing labor costs within the grocery stores. So on one hand, if you remember just after COVID, grocery stores couldn't get anybody. I mean, there was nobody at these at the registers. Sure. It was very, very hard for them. And I, I talked regularly with the managers and the people at the Meyer and the Kroger by me. Mm-hmm. Like, man, you guys are really struggling. Huh? Yeah, we need people really bad. That kind of thing. I understand it. 
but I, I do think it, it's a little excessive when they start telling you, hey, by the way, not only do you have to check yourself out, bag your own groceries and get out to the car, but you also can't bring bottles back at a, you know, unless it's in a certain window. And those windows happen to be during working hours most of the time. It's a little bit odd. Come on, get off your high horse. Right. You well, what they're doing actually is you can do it during the during like the middle of the day. What they're doing is is they're shutting it down in the evening. And in the evening is when people who work during the day really need the app. That's when they're going to go and return the bottles and they're and they're closing it off. That's why the bottle return needs to be open until the uh until the establishment closes. And you need to be able to go do it at that point. Mm, all right. Listen, I think it's all a little bit strange. All right, let's have some fun. Let's do a little bit of of off-the-wall presidential trivia. Now, here's how it's going to work. Are you ready? I know Brian isn't feeling top-notch, so we won't we won't drag him into the conversation. Okay, so I'm going to give you a sentence, and then I'm going to you have to fill in the blank. You ready? Okay. All right. Now, this is not like you know who was the 11th president or was the first one who didn't have slaves. That's far too pedestrian for me. I want off-the-wall stuff, and I've done my research. You ready? I'm ready. Barack Obama turned down a pet blank from a Colombian village. Oh, interesting. A pet blank from a Colombian village. A Colombian village of Turbaco prepared a pet blank to give to the president during a visit, and President Obama diplomatically declined owning this particular pet. What kind of animal was it? Um, a monkey? I don't know. I have no idea. <laughs> I have no idea. It was a donkey. A it donkey. was a pet donkey. Okay. All right. They said, thanks, Brian. They said, hey, President Obama, thanks for coming here and visiting our little village. We decided to give you a donkey to take back to the White House. We hope you'll graciously accept. And Obama probably said, guys, it's a donkey. I already have to deal with Congress. They're stubborn enough. Uh, I made that. Point. Got it. Okay. You know. Yes, All right. shot. Got it. Okay. John, John Adams had a great name for his dog. John and Abigail Adams had a dog named what? Apparently, the dog was quite a troublemaker. The dog was named. Um, the dog was named. Uh, I don't know. A dog. Dog for dog. No, the dog was named Satan. S a t a n. Satan, really. Okay. <laughs> I find that one to be rather humorous, personally. I, like that. I, I, like I, that. Okay. I don't particularly care for it. All right, how about this one, guys? Ronald Reagan in, uh, let's say, must have been late 80s, was offered a role, officially offered a role in a movie. It was the third iteration. I'm giving you a hint. It was the third iteration of this, of this series of movies because he was a punchline in the original. Oh, I'm going to say Back to the Future. You're, oh, you are correct, sir. Ronald Reagan was officially offered a role in Back to the Future 3. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, that's it. And that's right. He, and he was, uh, he was in uh, one, he was mentioned in the, I think, the first one. Yeah, he was yeah. mentioned in the first one. I wonder if, you, would you have got that had I not given you that hint? May, probably not. That was a good hint. Very, very interesting stuff. Before he was president, um, hold on a second. I did this backwards. Before he was president, Glover, Grover Cleveland was a. Oh, before he was president? Mm -hmm. um, 
He was a salesman. No. Glover, Grover Cleveland. I can't, I can't say Grover properly. He was a sheriff in Erie County, and he was also really? the county's hangman. Really? He carried out two hangings just before being elected. Oh, wow. Isn't that a weird one? That is weird. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of really uh, wacky things. Who had the, f- the first presidential pardon of a turkey was by what president? <laughs> like a turkey as in the bird, you know, when they yeah. when they the turkey on Thanksgiving. I have no idea. I have, you have to give me even a time frame. I probably still wouldn't get it. That was JFK. Really? Wow. He yeah, so that's actually not pardoned, that long of a tradition. Par- he pardoned a turkey. He pardoned a turkey. Okay. Just, I mean, this is the, the fun of being president. You can't open the windows. You can't use a cell phone. You're not allowed to drive. You can't go to a restaurant. Someone has to try your food. That, isn't that a weird thing? I'm segueing here, but someone has to try your food. The White House has an official food tester. Yeah, all, food this, taster. All, this, all this stuff is security stuff, so it makes all, all makes sense. I guess, but if it's your job to be the person that comes in and eats what the president's going to eat when you're out somewhere at a banquet, how long do they wait to see if you keel over dead? That's a good point, too. That's a good. This is okay. I have it uh, instantly passed out. Right, exactly. I mean, you think there would be some kind of chemical test for where they stick a little, you know, a needle, needle or some right. kind of reader in there, and they go, the toxicity levels of this food are acceptable, that kind of thing. Is it actually a person that eats the food? They just sit around and watch them for a while? Let's make sure Bob does not you know, fall off the chair and gag on the floor before we let the president right. eat. Exactly. How long does the president have to wait to get it, to eat his food to see if it's bad or good because they're yeah. waiting for the other person to see what happens to him? Extra long if it's Mexican food. You know, it takes a while, but when yes. it comes, it comes. I, I hear you. Yes. Okay. Lyndon Johnson, he issued the first Medicare card to who? The very first Medicare card was handed to... A person you're talking about? Yes. The first Medicare card. Um... I have no idea. It's, it's got to be somebody. To Harry Truman, who was 81 okay. at the time. During the, during the act of signing the bill. I think that's kind of an interesting one. That is interesting. I also, right. like, how the, I also like how when the, when the president signs a bill, he's got like four, he's got like all these different pens to sign all the different things. Have you seen that? They, they bring like no. a box with all these different pens. All very juice. It's just like you can't you can't just use the same pen. He's got all kinds like like for different pens. For the, it's very interesting. I did not know that. Okay, who is the Hollywood um, personality that George H W Bush, not W Bush, but H W, thought about naming as a potential running mate? Was really in the mix. Didn't happen, but it was um, right in the short list. Let's say a media personality, or just a, or a Hollywood personality. No, it was, I mean, both, I, I think. I don't want to give it away. This, this one's actually not that off the wall. It's kind of an interesting one. Think about an old school conservative, and I'll give you a hint. You ready? He's been the mayor, was the mayor multiple times, a very small town in California. Oh, Clint Eastwood. Clint Eastwood. Yeah. George H.W. Bush actually thought about naming Clint that Eastwood. Is, yeah, that, that is not totally off the wall. No. No, Clint Eastwood's an interesting guy. Yeah. Carmel, California, right? Carmel, California. Yeah. That's right. a beautiful town. My family actually lives in Carmel, California, my extended family. It's a heck of a place to visit if you have plenty of money and are really good at being self-sufficient because oh, that place is like an island on its own. About, you've told me about these family members that these are the, 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 uh, these are the golf course family members, right? 
yeah, they're part of the Pebble Beach ownership yes. out there. Very, very involved with the community. They're phenomenal people. But but Carmel and Monterey Peninsula in general is its own world. I mean, you're not there unless you have more money than you know how to spend. They must, are they uh, that that I would love to be a part of this extended family of yours. All right, listen. Last one. Who was the only president to be given a speeding ticket while he was president? Bill Clinton. Nope. It was Ulysses S. Grant, and he was on his horse. Of course, of course, it would be something like that. Figure that out. All right, we'll be back with Renwick in just a few. Sit tight. Okay, at the five-yard line, it's where we sit. Paul W. back in the chair behind the microphone tomorrow. I'm sure everyone has been awaiting his uh, his return from the cruise, and he'll have some fun stories, I'm sure. Thanks for having me in today. Team has been great as always. We've had a lot of fun, but nothing is more fun for me than closing out the segment with my buddy Chris Renwick. We call that uh, Chris Squared. I came up with that. He's real clever, right? My mental acuity, Chris Renwick, it's, is still it's humming. At forty-seven. It's humming right along. You know, no one's questioning my abilities. My mom pointed out to me via text. My mom, by the way, at seventy-five years old, is smarter and more mentally acute than both of those presidents. Uh, former and current on Good their best her. days. So I would vote for her as our first female president. Are you just That's, aiming uh, to get more Christmas gifts next year? What what is what are you doing? No, I don't need Christmas gifts at this stage in my life. In fact, when I get them, I usually have to pretend that I really enjoy them because anything I really want, I've already bought for myself anyway, right. to be fair. For real. Yeah. I'm with but you. we did have a, a lovely little um, kind of belated Valentine's yesterday with the, with uh, my brothers and the, and the, primarily the nephews. I'm the only oh, one good. that's provided any girls to my mother. So, um, so she the, likes the you the best. Friend. What's that? She likes you the best. She does like me the best, yeah. actually. And that's mm-hmm. I think that is uh, appropriate, to mm-hmm. be fair. Listen, we're, we're going to have some fun before we close out the segment. I'm trying to have fun on the show today. It is President's Day, and we should give yep. homage to this. Do you think that too much is being made uh, of the uh, whether or not there should be real cognitive screening and testing uh, of the president, of any president to begin with? Or is that totally appropriate, probably overdue, and it's only becoming apparent now because we haven't seen someone slip this hard this fast in recent history? Well, I, I think that it 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 only is of uh, a real question because of of Joe Biden. And then, of course, you look at Donald Trump and he's not far age wise behind Joe Biden either. So, you know, I, I think that that it, it's it's something that we I, to me, it's it's part of the gig now. Like if if you are running for president, I need a whole I need a whole, uh, uh, you know, laundry list of things that have been checked off by a doctor. And, uh, and and just and to make those, sure everybody's good, I don't I don't know why that's unreasonable. What's that? I mean, what, there, there, should those test results be made public? I mean, is there a dignity? If you, I think it's important to protect dignity of people, especially people in uh, public the public arena. So, is it a pass fail thing, or do they actually say, well, he scored you know a seventy one out of a hundred and seventy five is the minimum to be in charge sure. of the entire world? I mean, we don't know these kind of things. No, the barometer. I mean, you'd have to create whatever that is. But I mean, hypothetically, uh, presidents are supposed to make their their financials known to everybody. I mean, when you're taking this job, and I'm with you, I think dignity, I think privacy are all things that that we should maintain. But for this gig, for this job, you know, you're, you're kind of opening yourself up anyway. So for you me, know, I, I think you open yourself up. You know, President Trump, the only president in the last 50 years to leave office with significantly less net worth than he started with. Mm-hmm. 
You yeah. got to give them like a, a virtual high five for that one. I think the Clintons had like $4 million of net worth or one. No, I'm sorry. It was like 1.7 million in net worth when they took office and they left office eight years later worth 215 million. <laughs> How, How did they do that? They yeah. All right, listen, let's have a little bit of fun before okay. you take over and, 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 you know, shower your wisdom down on the, on the half a million people who are listening. I'm going to, keeping in this vein of odd presidential facts, I'm going to give you the secret service code name for a president, and I want you to tell me what president it was. If you get oh. two or more out of the six or eight, right? I'm going to buy you dinner. Ready? Okay. The secret service referred to this president as Rawhide. Rawhide. This is the easy one, by the way. Um, Rawhide. Uh, George W. Bush. No. Okay, well, that that's would be the Ronald easy Reagan because okay. of his numerous appearances as actors in westerns before he was involved in politics. Okay. It felt a little too on the nose, but all right. Good. All right. How about Lancer? L-A-N-C-E-R. Who is the Lancer? Is that Clinton? No. Oh. That was President John F. Kennedy. His administration really? was often associated with the mythical and romantic Arthurian legend of Camelot, where Lancelot was a famous knight. I have never so heard that. Okay. I, I've never heard that one either. I would never have got it. How about Deacon? Who was known as the Deacon? Carter. Yes. Is that That's right? One. You're right. <laughs> yes, it is. Yes. Is that in the dark? Are yes. you just hungry? No, it's it. It's all I got. I'm just Secret throwing search. names out. It was very fitting for Jimmy Carter because he was a very religious and active member of the Baptist Church. That's After exactly what I was thinking. He went on to teach Sunday school, so yeah. he was known as the deacon. That's exactly Interesting. what I was thinking. All right, ready? Eagle. Who was known as Eagle? Eagle. Uh, give me H.W. Bush. Incorrect. That would be Clinton. Bill Clinton was Eagle. Okay. Yeah, there doesn't be an explanation on that one either. I'm, I'm not sure why that. Here's one that's kind of funny in its own way. Who was called Searchlight? Searchlight. This is a president, Searchlight? Yeah. President. Recent. Well, I mean, recent enough, but, you know, last 50 years. Good mm. name. Ironically belonged to. I don't know. Who? President Richard Nixon. Nixon? Yeah. Who, and, you know, of course, in your Watergate, if you remember, the flashlights being seen upstairs in the windows. Uh-huh. But that was his name, Searchlight, was it was the Search name awarded to him at wow. the very beginning of his presidency. That's Those are very interesting. Yes. Very, very interesting. Uh, another in that same vein, I'm skipping over some now. How about Passkey? P-A-S-S-K-E-Y. Passkey. Oh, geez. I have no idea. Gerald Ford. Pardon Gerald for his Ford. illegal behavior over the years. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Listen, have, cool. a, have a ball today Thanks, on man. President's Day. I don't know the next time I'll be behind a mic, but when I do, I hope that I get to end it hanging out with you a little bit. All right. We'll talk again, my friend. Thank you. All right, pal. Have fun. See ya.